Before, uh, before Christmas, a couple of weeks before Christmas, I broke my ankle uh, on a trip to Florida, and I've gone through various stages of a uh, cast and a boot and crutches and a scooter and all sorts of things. But this morning is the very first time I've actually been able to climb those stairs in regular shoes. Uh, I was given the uh, all clear from my doctor this week. He said, yep, it's all healing up good. He goes, uh, it's going to take a while to, you know, get it fully mobile, but I don't need to see you anymore. Just come see me if there's any problems. So I'm just feeling super glad that uh, I'm at that point. And then another great thing about it is... um, I figured out this week that uh, insurance is going to cover everything because uh, let's be honest, when some of those bills, yeah, when some of those bills come in the mail, you look at them, it's like, wow, this is actually more painful than the broken ankle. Uh, it's, it's scary, isn't it? So, but no, good news is I found out they are going to, yes, that's not true. They, they're, they're not going to cover everything. Uh, they won't cover the dishwasher, I found out. No, no, I'm serious. Um, so one morning I came down. I was the first one uh, to get up that morning. I came down. It was very early in the morning. Uh, I was still non-weight-bearing at this point. I wasn't allowed to put any weight on this foot, so I was on my crutches, and I came through our kitchen. And unbeknownst to me, there was one of those Tupperware lids just sitting on our wood floor, and uh, I didn't see it, and I put one crutch on it, and man, it was like an ice skate. I mean, that thing went straight like that. And in the fraction of a second, all this is going through my head. I'm like, I can't put my foot down. I can't steady myself. I just need to tuck, roll, hope for the best. Uh, But unfortunately, the dishwasher was open, the door of the dishwasher. That's where I landed. Uh, Huge crash, huge bang. All the family wake up. What's going on? Are you okay? I was like, yeah, I'm fine. I'm fine. I just fell into the dishwasher. But... um, and insurance won't cover the repairs to the dishwasher. Fortunately, it doesn't actually need repairs. It does still close and run. Uh, the drawback is when you open it, it's like more of a tilt. So when you roll that first tray out, it just keeps on rolling right across the <laughs> kitchen floor, which isn't ideal. But, uh, but no, so they won't cover the dishwasher. And... Um, They won't cover the ironing board either, which is, uh, yeah, true story. Another story, though, for another day, there is a broken ironing board in our house now. Honestly, it is a miracle that I've only broken one ankle. Really, through this process, I could have broken every one of my uh, arms and legs. But here I am, back on two feet. So last week, we started this brand new series. Uh, It was called The Week That Changed the World. And if you're joining us here this morning for the very first time, uh, what we're doing is this series is taking us all the way up to Easter Sunday. And what I've found as a pastor in uh, years gone by is uh, the week before Easter Sunday is, we call it Palm Sunday, so very often I'll speak on Palm Sunday, what took place that day. But then a lot happened between Palm Sunday and Resurrection Sunday, the Sunday where Jesus rose from the dead, and we don't really get to talk about that because... In that week, you know, it all goes by, and the next Sunday that comes, it's, it's Easter Sunday. So what we thought we'd do this year is we'd start last week on Palm Sunday, so we talked about Palm Sunday last week. Today, we're going to talk about what happened on Monday. We're going to take a look at the life of Jesus on the Monday after Palm Sunday, because there's a lot recorded in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the guys who wrote about the life of Jesus. There's a lot that took place in that final week of Jesus' life. In fact, it really was the week that changed the world. So let's take a look here this morning at uh, what happened on Monday. We, we talked last week about Jesus' triumphal entry into Jerusalem. It was a very emotional day, lots of cheering and palms being laid down. Um, but it was very emotional too because Jesus, as he looked out over Jerusalem, we discovered, he just wept. He wept audibly because the, the, the compassionate heart of Jesus just knew the brokenness and the despair and, and even the, the fact that this city in, in just a few years' time, 30 years' time, would be destroyed by the Romans. And, and all of this misery and heartache, it caused Jesus to weep. But then the next morning, 
some more things happened in the life of Jesus. We're going to look at that now. So in Mark chapter 11, verses 12 through 14, that's where we're going to start, and we're going to find out what happened the next day. The next morning, as they were leaving Bethany, Jesus was hungry. He noticed a fig tree in full leaf a little way off, so he went over to see if he could find any figs. But there were only leaves because it was too early in the season for fruit. Then Jesus said to the tree, may no one ever eat your fruit again. And the disciples heard him. Now, if you had a Bible open right now and you were reading that passage in the Bible, uh, very often what happens in the Bible is there'll be headings over different portions so that if you're trying to find a particular um, event in the life of Jesus, you can go to that heading. And, and the heading above this portion would say, Jesus curses the fig tree. Now, as a child, I grew up, and I, uh, my mum, her family were from Northern Ireland, so, and out where they lived, where my mum's mum grew up, it was kind of in the country, a lot of farming area, so as a child, we'd take vacations there sometimes, and we'd visit her uncles and her aunts, and we'd walk about the farms and see all the animals, and very often we'd go for walks down these kind of country lanes, and there would be these wild blackberry bushes that, that grew along the side of the road, and I can remember my dad would just stop, and he'd pick blackberries and eat them, and, and I'd pick some blackberries and, and eat them, but I don't remember as a child ever getting to one of those bushes, seeing that there were no blackberries and crying out, may no one eat your fruit again. I mean, I didn't, you know, I, I, I really didn't get like that. I do remember a couple of weeks ago uh, between services, I went out and uh, I was going to get a donut and the ones that I like were gone and I shouted, may no one eat donuts again. I was mad. But the truth is, we're reading here that Jesus curses this fig tree. So what, what is up with that? You know, I mean, why, why get so angry just over a lack of figs? Well, there are a couple of things to note here, okay? If you dig a little deeper into what's going on here, we start to learn that this is more than just meets the eye. First off, okay, uh, we, we know from what Mark tells us that the state that Jesus was in. Verse 12, it says, The next morning, as they were leaving Bethany, Jesus was hungry. So we don't know what happened. Maybe the place he'd stayed the night before hadn't provided a meal that morning. Maybe he got up early and went off to pray and, and uh, he didn't get to eat. But for some reason, what we do know is he's walking along the lane, heading towards Jerusalem. He's missed out on the most important meal of the day and he's hungry. Jesus, the man, is hungry. So we know that. Verse 13 says that he noticed a fig tree in full leaf a little way off, so he went over to see if he could find any figs. The second thing to notice here this morning is that that fig tree is described as being in full leaf, so he went over there to get some figs. Now, I know a lot of you probably have fig trees in your garden, so, uh, so you understand this, but for those who maybe don't have a fig tree grown in your yard right now, here's the deal with fig trees, Okay? With a fig tree, the fruit grows first, and then the leaves grow second. The fruit grows, and when the fruit's grown, then the leaves grow. So if you saw a fig tree in full leaf, you would assume that there's fruit, because it's not the leaves first, then the fruit. It's the fruit first, then the leaves. So even though, as Mark notes, it was too early in the season for figs to produce fruit, this particular fig tree was given the impression that it had an early crop. All these leaves on this tree to any passerby would, would give the impression, the assumption could be made that there would be figs on this tree. But as Jesus went over, hungry, 
expecting figs because of the look of the tree, and he started to peel the leaves back. That's when he discovered this fig tree wasn't as it appeared. And despite the leaves, there was no fruit. He didn't curse the fig tree because he was hungry and he didn't get a fig. He cursed it because the tree gave the impression it had figs, whereas in actual fact, it didn't. Now, we're going to find out a little bit later on why this is important because it plays into another thing that took place. But let's just um, jump to Tuesday here really quickly. We're still on Monday, but we're going to jump onto Tuesday really quickly because in Mark chapter 11, verse 20, it talks about in the morning as they went along, this is Tuesday, they saw the fig tree withered from its roots. Peter remembered. And he said to Jesus, Rabbi, look, that fig tree you cursed has withered. You did that. You killed the tree. What's, what's up with that? Peter's amazed. All the other miracles he's seen Jesus do were, were miracles of life and healing. But now he witnesses a miracle that actually destroys something. But you see, little does Peter know that what just took place there with the fig tree and what's about to happen as Jesus enters into Jerusalem, it actually ties together. Both these acts will become something that Jesus will use to send a message to the church. And actually, I believe even this morning to send a message to us, today's church, the church of Jesus today. So let's find out what happened immediately after the, the, the fig tree incident. Jesus is about to head into Jerusalem, but before um, we read what happens, let me explain the, the, the Jerusalem that he's about to walk into. So Jerusalem was the, the hub, it was the center of um, religious activity for the Jews, for the people of God. They would come from all over, and, and in the middle of Jerusalem was the temple. And that's where they would come, to the temple, to worship God, to make sacrifices, to, uh, uh, the Bible says, to atone for their sins. That means to, to, to kind of cover, to make up for the wrong that they'd done. That would happen day in, day out. This particular week was known as Passover. This was a very famous Jewish holiday where they would celebrate. It was a festival where they remembered that hundreds of years before, their ancestors were rescued from slavery in Egypt. And as part of that rescue, there came a time where um, the firstborn sons of everyone in that area were killed. But um, because they were Jews, because they, they followed God's commands, the angel passed over and their sons were spared. So they were celebrating Passover. They would have all been there to worship, to celebrate with God. Thousands of people would be making pilgrimages to Jerusalem. And all of them at some point would find themselves in the temple. So that's what's happening this time. And Jesus walks into this very temple. And let's read what happened. Mark eleven fifteen 15 through 18. When they arrived back in Jerusalem... Jesus entered the temple and he began to drive out the people buying and selling animals for sacrifices. He knocked over the tables of money changers and the chairs of those selling doves. And he stopped everyone from using the temple as a marketplace. He said to them, the scriptures declare, my temple will be called a house of prayer for all nations, but you have turned it into a den of thieves. When the leading priests and teachers of religious law heard what Jesus had done, they began planning how to kill him. But they were afraid of him because the people were so amazed at his teaching. Now you've got to remember, things are already tense between Jesus and the religious leaders. Jesus has been out performing miracles, 
teaching these wonderful things and, and people are drawn to him and people love him. And, and the, the religious leaders, they can't deny what they've seen. There are lame people who are now walking. There are lepers who are now healed. So they can't deny this. But they're not happy about it. On top of that, Jesus is also embracing some of the outcasts of society that these religious people have kind of put at arm's length. The poor, the broken, the sick, the tax collectors, the prostitutes, people that the religious leaders have kind of looked down their noses upon. Jesus is welcoming with two open arms and loving them, showing them the love of God. So not only is he showing God's true love to these people, he's actually putting the religious leaders to shame because their behavior is the complete opposite. That's causing trouble. Then on top of that, he's doing it as the Messiah. He's claiming to be the Son of God. Well, that's just the final straw for these guys. This is really just pushing them on the edge. So you would think in this kind of tense situation between Jesus and this religious leaders, you think what the best move, the wisest move, would just be to use some wisdom here, just tread carefully, you know, be careful what you say, don't, don't upset things, don't... Um, but not Jesus. <laughs> he turns over tables... You den of thieves. I mean, he goes all out. So why is it? What caused Jesus to react that way? What caused Jesus, who, who maybe common sense would say, just, just keep calm, ladies, don't upset people. They're already kind of on edge. What is it that, that caused Jesus to say, I can't not do this? Especially Considering the idea that both Jesus and Paul and other writers in the New Testament, they talk a lot about self-control and loving others and not being easily angered, turning the other cheap. It would almost appear that Jesus is doing wrong here. But, but what we're seeing here from Jesus isn't sin. It isn't um, an, an, an unhealthy losing his temper. This is righteous anger. This is Jesus understanding that this temple was intended to be God's place. This was a place where people come to worship to connect with their, their heavenly father. And he's seen it abused. He's seen it abused and mishandled by the very people that God appointed to put in charge of it. So he shouts out, my temple will be called a house of prayer for all nations, but you've turned it into a den of thieves. He drops the mic, he walks out. <laughs> he's not having it. He confronts them where they are. So, so why is it that Jesus was so furious, so angry? Why, what caused him to, to react that way? Well, I think what will help you understand is if you'll allow me just for a few minutes here, give you a little bit of a, um, a Bible history lesson that's the significance of what's going on here. So in order to do that, I'm going to pull up a picture of the temple. Okay, you can kind of see it there on the screen. So the temple was made up of several spaces. So right at the very center of the space was the Holy of Holies. No one could go in there except for one man, the high priest, and he could only go in there one day of the year. That was the center of the temple. Now, each court, as you move outwards, there were more people that were allowed in, but there was also people that weren't allowed in. So the first court, as you move out, is called the Court of Priests. So the priests were allowed in here. Only the high priest could go in the middle, but the priests could go in here, but no one else other than the priest could come into this court. The next court out is called the court of Israel. This is where the Jewish men could come in. The priests could go here, the high priests could go here, but also the Jewish men could go into the court of Israel. But only the Jewish men, because the next court outside of that, excuse me, is the, the, court, the women's court, it's called. So here, the women were allowed to come, the Jewish women. But again, 
the priests, the high priests, Jewish men, Jewish women, but only Jewish people. If you weren't a Jew, you weren't allowed into the court of Israel. You, were, you had to stay. The only place you could go in the temple was the outer court, and that was called the court of Gentiles. So understand, this court, the court of Gentiles, the outer court, this is the place where those who didn't grow up knowing God, those who were outside of the Jewish faith, but those who genuinely wanted to, to worship God, they didn't grow up in a Christian family, but they believed that God was who he said he was. They wanted to worship him. They were, this was their space. This was the only place they could go to worship. This could actually have been like a mission field for the Jews to move in and, and instruct them and tell them about this wonderful God and, and help them grow in their faith. But the only place where the Gentiles could worship has now become a marketplace has now become a hive of activity. Not just a marketplace, but even worse. In one translation, verse 16 reads like this. It says that Jesus would not allow anyone to carry merchandise through the temple courts. What he meant here was he was stopping people from just walking through these outer courts, walking through the outer courts, carrying their merchandise. Because what had happened... This was a holy place. This was a place where you only came if your intention was to worship God, to sacrifice, to meet with other believers. But it turns out that if you wanted to get from the Mount of Olives to the center of Jerusalem, you could either walk around the temple, and it took quite a while, or you could kind of take a shortcut right through the court of Gentiles. Now, that was absolutely forbidden. The only reason to go into the temple was to worship God. But the priests were allowing this to take place. They should have stopped it, but they were allowed to take place. And I think probably because with all these people selling and buying, they kind of drive in business that way. And Jesus says, enough. This isn't a shortcut. This is a place of worship. Now, you might be sitting here this morning thinking, yeah, but Jesus, come on. I mean, they were just taking a shortcut through the temple, saving a bit of time. It can't be that bad, surely. Well, if you don't think it's that bad, try this. If you're a parent here this morning of a child and you have to drive that child to school every morning, then just tomorrow, try something different. Instead of following the, the rules the school has of dropping off and picking up kids, do whatever you want. Pull in whatever entrance you want. Get, just go around the line and pull up to the door. Just drop your kid off in the parking lot. Let them walk all the way through. See how that turns out. <laughs> if you get on Facebook later that day, you'll be famous. Because everyone will be talking. There'll be a picture of your car. Whose parent is this? Don't they know that you have to go in this gate and out that gate? <laughs> That's the kind of rule. I mean, it's almost, this, this rule in the temple was almost, almost as sacred as the drop-off and pick-up rules in the schools. Not quite as sacred, but almost. This was the rule of the temple. The priests knew this. This isn't a thoroughfare. This isn't a shortcut. This is a place to come and worship God. But they were allowing it. And this, Jesus just wasn't having. I think the other thing that just, just boiled Jesus' blood was seeing all this buying and selling that was going on in the temple. Now, before you get the wrong idea of the buying and selling in the temple, I don't want you going to a, a larger church next week, and as you walk in, they've got a bookstore in the church. They're selling books and Bibles and T-shirts, and you walk in there because I preached on this, and you're like, you den of thieves, and you're throwing tables over, okay? Jesus wasn't speaking against the idea because actually what was going on was essential. 
the sales and the money changes, this was important because people were coming from all over the area. They would have come from days' journeys, and, and it wasn't practical to bring an animal all that way with you to sacrifice. So many of them would bring money. They would sell the animal before they leave, and then the money they had, they would bring it with them and buy another animal so they could actually make their sacrifice. It was practical. And it wasn't easy because you might come from a different part of the empire where a different currency was used. The temple only received the Jewish shekel. So at some point, you had to find a place to cash your traveler's checks and be able to find a way to, to buy the animal that you want to sacrifice. So, so Jesus wasn't angry at the idea of this taking place. This needed to happen. What angered Jesus and caused him to turn it over is, is number one, that it was happening in the court of Gentiles, but number two, that it was happening in such a corrupt manner. This was meant to be this pure opportunity to, to, to enter into a time of worship with God. But the money changers and the tradesmen and the people selling stuff were corrupt. They were cheating people out of, of way too much profit. And you know what made Jesus mad? Knowing that part of the reason they were charging so much is because on the back end, the priests... We're making some money off of this. Some of the money that they made went to the priests. So no wonder they allowed it. No wonder they allowed the corruption to take place because they were benefiting personally for it. You know, even the dove sellers. You notice that Matthew points out that the, the chairs of the dove sellers he turned over? The dove was the cheapest animal you could buy and still have a, a, a righteous sacrifice with God. There were different animals, but the lowest animal you could buy and still make things right with God in worship was a dove. So the dove was what basically the poor people and the widows could afford. Even the dove sellers, selling to the people that were closest to Jesus' heart, the widows, the orphans, the poor people, even they were cheating them out of money. Jesus saw this corruption. He says, you cannot use this. And you know what he said? He said, this is a place of prayer. And you've turned it into a den of thieves. Now, this is quite important, what he says, because in the Greek language, there are several different words for the word thief and, and different types of thieves. So when he said this, this would have really offended the religious leaders. Because there are different types of thieves. The best way I can describe this is by explaining two stories of modern-day um, robberies that took place uh, and using them to kind of illustrate what Jesus is saying. So um, these are both true stories. The first story happened last year in New York. You may have heard of this. They both involved somebody stealing from an armored car. Um, please don't misunderstand what I'm saying. Both of them were wrong, but they were wrong in different ways, and I'll tell you why in a second. So this guy, uh, he was in New York, and we're gonna see a little security video of this guy. You may remember this. He was just crossing the street, and there's this armored truck here, and he sees in the back, there's these buckets kind of unattended. He doesn't know what's in these buckets, but he thinks they must be pretty valuable because... Uh, they're in the back of a security truck, so he's like, you know what? No one's around. I'm going to grab me one of these buckets. Now, unbeknownst to him, this bucket is 86 pounds, so he, uh, he's making his way through the streets of New York. He actually has to stop here just for a bit of a breather because this is a really heavy bucket. Um, but this bucket contains over a million dollars worth of gold. And this guy, this opportunistic thief, sees an unattended truck and thinks, I'll have that. And off he goes. Well, thanks to all this security footage, he's arrested and sent to prison. Uh, they never recovered the gold, ironically. He said he sold it and uh, doesn't know where the money went. Somebody stole it from him. Yeah, likely story. But anyway, that's one story of an armored truck robbery. The second story, okay, true story. It's happened a little while before that. 
A guy decides to rob this armored truck that comes to the Bank of America every day at 11 a.m. So um, he shows up, he waits, he sees the armored truck arrive, and he steps out wearing a yellow vest, safety goggles, a respirator mask, and a blue shirt. He's disguised as a construction worker. He walks up to the guard as he's carrying his bag of money and sprays pepper spray in his face. As the guard is disoriented, he grabs the bag and he flees and makes his escape. The police are on the scene very quickly looking for a man fitting his description. But this is where the crime takes a little bit of a twist. So it turns out the day before, an ad had been placed on Craigslist. It was an ad for people looking for work, especially construction workers. Uh, They were promised $28.50 an hour, which at this time was quite a large sum of money. Um, So they just needed to make sure they showed up at 11 a.m. right outside the Bank of America and make sure you're wearing, you guessed it, yellow vests, safety goggles, a respirator mask, and preferably a blue shirt. So within minutes, the police arrive. And at least a dozen people matching the description of the thief they're looking for are just kind of wandering around outside the Bank of America. Turns out the thief had disappeared into a sewer where he had a rubber inflatable ring there and he floated all the way out to the river where he had a car parked and he made his getaway. Crazy. Now listen, both of them are thieves. Both broke the law. Both of them were wrong. But you know what? The second thief, if you could use different words, the second robbery, the way it took place, that's the kind of thief that Jesus was saying the religious leaders were. He was saying there's a difference between being an opportunistic, doing something wrong because you were in the wrong place at the wrong time and you you did something wrong, and meticulously planning something out. The word Jesus uses, the Greek word Jesus uses for thief, he's saying this is organized crime. He's telling the religious leaders, you are the mafia of thieves. This is planned out. You've planned this out, and you know exactly what's going on, and you are cheating these people out of their money. In fact, it was that phrase, as you continue to read on their remark, that you'll see that immediately the religious leaders start to plot how they might kill Jesus. So how is it that this, this outburst in the temple, the fig tree, how do they link together? Well, one Bible scholar puts it this way, our Lord's condemning of the tree and the cleansing of the temple were both symbolic acts that illustrated the sad spiritual condition of the nation of Israel, the sad state of the church. From afar, you know, the temple would have looked majestic, beautiful. It would have been this great representation of the glory of God right there in the center of Israel, or Jerusalem. From afar, from a ways off, that fig tree's leaves, they gave the impression of fruit and food and sustenance. But when you drew close to both of them, what you actually were met with was outward fruitlessness and inward corruption. So what would Jesus say to us this morning in light of what happened on that Monday all those years ago? I think the first thing he'd say is to those of us this morning who would say we are followers of Jesus, we've made that decision to to not just show up to church every now and again or even show up to church regularly, but we're going to go all in. We are just diving into this, which I don't recommend doing unless you know for sure how deep it is. But when it comes to your faith in Jesus, dive in. That's a safe dive to make. But some of us, we are all in. We are following Jesus. I think he would say to us this morning, where's your fruit? You say you're followers of Jesus, but where's your fruit? In John 15, 16, he said this, you didn't choose me, I chose you. I appointed you to go and produce lasting fruit so that the Father will give you whatever you ask for using my name. 
You know, those of us here who are followers of Jesus, we've made this decision to give him our all. We need to do more than just look the part. Our friends and our neighbors and our family and our work colleagues who don't yet know Jesus like we do, they are looking for more than just leaves, more than just an outward appearance, more than just someone who attends regularly. They're looking for fruit. They're looking for a life that's lived differently. Paul talks, he's writing to a church and he says, you know, the fruit of the Spirit is love joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and self-control. There are so many things as followers of Jesus that we can demonstrate in the way that we live our lives, the way we treat others, the things we say, the things we don't say that represent the fruit in our lives. But there's nothing more disappointing for someone who doesn't know Jesus to see someone who proclaims to follow him but behaves no differently. It's like being drawn to a tree by the leaves and then discovering there's no fruit. I think the second thing he'd say to us this morning, and maybe it's to those of you here this morning who, who you've yet to make that decision to, to go all in with Jesus. You're here, you're open to the idea. Maybe you've come a few times now and, and you're kind of like, okay, I'm, I, I, I believe in God. I think it's good that me and my family are coming. I, I think this is good, you know, there's some good moral teaching, but I'm not sure that I'm ready to go all in with Jesus. I'm not sure that I'm ready to, to be baptized. We've got this baptism service coming up in a couple of weeks' time. I'm not sure that I'm ready to give everything, you know, really commit to following him. And, and maybe for some of you, the reason you're not sure, the reason you're not ready is there's something that's in the way. There's still a little bit of an obstacle, and it could be that that something, that obstacle, that, that stumbling block that you still face might be something that happened as a result of the church or maybe a member of the church. You saw something done, something was said. Maybe growing up you saw something happen and, and it's affected you. And I think Jesus would say to you this morning, don't lose hope. Don't lose hope. The truth is the church has made a mess of a lot of things over the years taking advantage of people, misusing funds. Back in history, you can see that the church would sell religious artifacts for money to help people buy their way into heaven. The Crusades, and today we've even learned that even in Jesus' day, there was corruption in the center of the temple there in the middle of Jerusalem. The church isn't perfect, but I hope you can look through that and discover Jesus still. The sad truth is this morning that Connect's not perfect. There are going to be things that maybe we'll do and it'll, it'll let you down at times. If, if I'm in charge, it's pretty inevitable. <laughs> but we'll try our best to follow Jesus. I, don't, I look at those religious leaders in the temple and I think, I don't want to be like that. I don't want to get caught up in organized crime here. Maybe I'll, I'll mess up unintentionally, but I definitely don't want to be involved in organized crime. But sometimes... The church and the people of God can, can let us down and, and maybe you're here this morning and that's been a stumbling block for you. Please don't give up on Jesus. Please don't let that stop you from finding Jesus. He loves you so much. In fact, he loves you so much that um, that's what drove him to turn over those tables was knowing that this was the court of Gentiles. These were the people who were genuinely seeking God and they were being prevented from getting to him by all that was going on. Jesus knew that his father's house was a house of prayer, a house of worship, a house where people could come and connect with him and nothing should get in the way of that. So as we close out this morning, as we close out Monday, let's work on growing the fruit in our lives to back up the leaves. 
If people see the leaves on us of a follower of Jesus, a member of Connect Church, somebody who's claimed to be a Christian, let's let them not just see the leaves. Let that be, when they peel those leaves back, as they get to know us more, let them see the fruit of him in our lives. And don't let man's mistakes stop you from experiencing Jesus this morning. Let's pray, shall we? Father, we love you so much. Jesus, I love that as we're going through this series, we get to experience a little bit of what that last week of your life was like, Lord, the, the week that changed the world. Jesus, it blows my mind because if there was ever a moment to keep quiet and not be quite as outspoken or passionate about what you believe, this was the week. But Jesus, your heart for us, your heart for the people of that day wouldn't let you be quiet. You had to speak out what you knew to be true and what you knew to be right. And in doing so, we're gonna learn that just a few days later, Friday of that week, you were nailed to a cross as those religious leaders tried to silence you for what you were doing. Thank you, Jesus, that your love for us drove you to never back down, never give up. And God, in the years that have gone, come and gone since then, Lord, for all the times that we as people in the name of Jesus have made mistakes, don't let that ever be a stumbling block. Please, God, for those here this morning that have yet to, to dive in, to go all in with you, Lord, I pray that they wouldn't be put off by the mistakes that we make, but they would look to you, Jesus, because you love them so dearly. And for us, Lord, in our imperfection, help us to keep working on the fruit in our lives that people would see the evidence of you in us. Thanks so much, Lord, for everyone here. Hope you have a great rest of the day and week. In Jesus' name.